Hello, welcome to Discovering Jazz. My name's Larry Sademan here in Victoria, BC. In this program, we all discover jazz old and new together. We'll listen to a wide variety of jazz styles and I'll present different topics, giving ideas as to what we can listen for to enhance our experience. Thanks to Peterborough Independent Podcasters for hosting this podcast. For the next 60 minutes, Discovering Jazz. Last week, jazz bassist, composer, and teacher Steve Haynes originally from Ottawa, Canada, now director of the Miles Davis Jazz Studies Program at the University of North Carolina. Well, he talked about some of the essential elements of jazz. We discussed the blues, gospel, the historical roots or precedent, swing, repetition, inclusion. And this week, we are going to talk about what is probably the most important element. We call it freedom. Let's start with some Charles Mingus. This mule ain't from Moscow. This mule ain't from the South. But this mule's had some learning. Mostly mouth to mouth. This mule could be called stubborn and lazy. But in a clever sort of way, this mule could be working, waiting, and learning, and planning. For a sacred kind of day. A day when burning sticks and crosses is not mere child's play, but a madman in his most incandescent bloom, whose loveless soul is imperfection in his most lustrous groom. So stand fast, young O'Mule, soothe in contemplation thy burning hove and aching thigh. Your stubbornness is of the living. And cruel anxiety is about to die. Freedom for your daddy. Freedom for your mama. Freedom for your brothers and sisters. But no freedom. Yeah. <laughs> 
Charles Mingus, and without a doubt the struggle by people of color to free themselves from slavery has been a huge theme in jazz, both old and new. Our focus today will be on how that yearning for freedom has affected the actual playing of the music, where jazz continually evolves as a result of freeing ourselves from the constraints, while at the same time respecting and even cherishing what came before. Let's hear from Steve Haynes. Freedom is absolutely critical to our music. Um, and what I mean by that is, um, again, when you look at a lot of the way jazz is taught today, we use things like patterns or we use um, scales, for example, to play on top of music. And so don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you shouldn't learn your scales and, and everything. You've, you need to know how to, how to play your horn very, very proficiently. And it takes a lifetime of work. But all said and done, that's really the last thing that our great, great musicians really thought of. Um, Ella Fitzgerald was not thinking about a scale when she was singing, nor Billie Holiday. Um, you know, they, they, were, they just had freedom. They were just singing. And what's happened is our, our education has more or less whitewashed it to the point now where people, when they play this music, they feel like there is something they must do. And if they don't do that particular thing that they've been told to do, then they're not any good. And the problem is, in fact, we're, we're, all, we're actually strangling what the music really could be. Um, and so it's important for people to feel freedom when they're playing, when they're improvising, not to feel, not to feel connected to, say, a chord or, or, or anything, but, but really just to be connected to their spirit. Like, what is it that they want to sing? And that's what we should be doing. We should be singing what's inside of our soul. And the only way we can really learn um, about creativity in jazz is to, is to expose ourselves to as much music as we can. You know, so the more, the more music we listen to, um, then the more ideas we have for, for doing something that we hear in our, own, in our own souls. Some of the freest sounding recordings I think I've ever heard are found in old time gospel one of the roots of jazz. Last week, I played a track by Arizona Drains that Steve suggested. Now I have the freedom to play another one. From 1928, I'll Go Where You Want Me to Go.
does not just typify freedom. It also illustrates precedent, inclusion, gospel, and repetition. And even though she's saying, I'll go where you want me to go and I'll be what you want me to be, she's making that choice. So maybe it's not such a contradiction after all. Arizona Drains. From the early 20th century, we'll move forward to the early 21st century and play something from one of Steve Haynes' albums, in particular the Secret Stash album, from which I also played a track last week. I asked Steve to select one of his tunes that most defines him, and in doing so probably is an illustration of his strong belief in freedom as an essential element of jazz. Is there any one particular track from any one of your albums that you think most defines you? There's a couple that I wrote, um, and so one of them is called um, Secret Stash. And that one's kind of a, that one's kind of a fun one because it kind of represents what I'm thinking about now. Um, that one is heavily influenced by um, Charles Mingus and Danny Richmond. Um, Danny Richmond, who was, uh, you know, who was uh, here in Greensboro, North Carolina for a long time. His widow still lives here. And uh, and Charles Mingus, of course, who is who is probably the most virtuosic uh, musician uh, that we can imagine on that instrument uh, on double bass. Um, and also uh, one of the great, great um, composers and arrangers of our time, you know, and and uh, and, and that one basically is just a, a silly little melody where the where the improvisers get to choose what tempo they play at every chorus. So that one's a lot of fun for the rhythm section. I remember when I was in France and going from town to town or city to, to play that song, the musicians uh, who played on that every night, they would stretch out a little bit more about whether they wanted to play it slow or fast or whatever they did with each chorus. It was a lot of fun.
Sacred Stash, the title tune of Steve Haynes' second most recent album with Peter Bernstein on guitar. You can order or download that album, by the way, through bandcamp.com. Steve's first taste of that freedom was in high school, and there's something about this story that he tells about his early experience that uh, I think really illustrates that excitement that hits many a jazz musician during their formative years and brings out something that is in them that maybe was previously undiscovered. It's like a freedom to allow that part of who you really are to step out. Let's hear Steve Haynes talk about it. And in high school, they had this big Duke Ellington conference in Ottawa and my music teacher, she paid for me to go. And I got to sit in with Wild Bill Davis um, and and the Duke Ellington rhythm section, John Lamb was, was wow. playing bass. Yeah, right? And of course I had no idea how to play um, <laughs> it was it was probably the most atonal baseline they'd ever heard, but but there was this uh, quality in the rhythm of it that really I was drawn to, and and I couldn't sleep at night really after after all of these experiences. I couldn't turn it off in my head when I was trying to sleep. It just kept me up. It's what it's what we in our culture called the bug. Like we've got this bug now that we we just can't you can't uh, resolve. You know. Maybe this is a nice segue into something by the great Duke Ellington, who I featured, by the way, on a Discovering Jazz episode just a few weeks back. Last week, we talked a lot about swing and the freedom that we heard in the playing of Louis Armstrong. Improvisation, which is a huge manifestation of that freedom that we're talking about, seems more and more today to be giving way to music that's more precise and composed. So I pose that question to Steve Haynes about how he puts those two things together. And this is what we do in this music is we we walk the tightrope of what is composed and what is not composed. And I think if we do it right, it's blurry. We can't really tell what is composed and what is improvised. But for example, the uh, Thursday suite, Duke Ellington's uh, suite and I think I sent you the first track, the first movement, which is Misfit Blues. Even with this very open tumbleweeds uh, feeling of the blues that they put, that they play particularly, where Duke Ellington doesn't play a whole lot on the piano. When we do hear the band and the reeds, um, there is so much majesty in the freedom of those lines that are written down and composed, and and there's so much there's so much to to take. Uh, in how we can how how we can write with freedom when we listen to people like Duke Ellington. So Duke Ellington is it's strange because he is probably the greatest um, one of the greatest musicians of the 20th century, and he's probably the most marginalized um, composer uh, in in quote unquote jazz culture. So it, it, it's it's only of late that we're finally getting people to actually play his music. Now part of it is that it was so difficult. And part of it was that he was writing for specific people um, that were themselves the greatest musicians on the planet at the time. That's why they were in Duke's band. And so, you know, it's difficult to play Harry Carney um, on the baritone saxophone, <clears throat> but uh, that's a great example of, of, of hearing precedent and having, and having freedom from it. From Duke Ellington's Sweet Thursday, here is Misfit Blues from 1959, the Duke Ellington Orchestra.
the Duke Ellington Orchestra from 1959. My guest for this week and last week's episode, Steve Haynes, expresses a lot of concern about how jazz might be losing its sense of precedent as well as its freedom. And this comes up when I asked him about this next selection he suggested by Billie Holiday. She is my favorite, uh, one of my favorite singers for certain. Um, and uh What's remarkable, if we were to think about, um, say, an audition tape for a festival or an audition tape for to get into a school or, or um, to try to get a gig at a club, I think that if, if, if Billie Holiday today were to submit that and we wouldn't know it's her, she may not get in. Uh, and the same with, say, Charlie Hayden, who who doesn't play a whole lot of notes and doesn't have a huge range. I mean, Charlie Hayden didn't have much of a range at all, and he didn't play a lot of notes fast. And it doesn't matter because everything that he plays is so profound and everything that Billie Holiday sings is so remarkable. Even though Billie Holiday didn't really have much of a range either. She had almost, yeah. I mean, she had a very, very short range, but what she did with what she had was so remarkable and so incredibly artistic and 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 full of the blues and just I mean, she could shade uh, a note with ten thousand other notes um, in a heartbeat. Here's Billie Holiday and Lester Young with the Count Basie Orchestra from the late 1930s. All of me, why not take all of me? you see I'm no good without you take my lips I want to lose them take my arms I'll never use them your goodbye left me with eyes that cry how can I go on dear without you you took the part that once was my heart so why not take all of me Mm-hmm. 
Billie Holiday with one of the very rare recordings made of when she played with both Lester Young and the Count Basie Orchestra. When we hear music today, I think a lot of people feel like it has to be um, loud or it has to be fast or, or the music has to be uh, virtuosic or, and, and usually those things just point to the ego. You know, look at me, look at me, look at me. Now, of course, there are people that can play a lot of notes that are not at all egotistical. So I'm not saying that you can't play fast, uh, even though I can't, <laughs> uh, you know, but 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 it's really just a matter of understanding that, look, Billie Holiday gives us precedent to take what we have. So if there's if there's somebody listening and they have they have an octave on the trombone, or the saxophone, and that's what they have, that they can do really well. Well, use that, that's what I say. Use that and 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 follow it. Follow whatever your soul is singing for you to sing. Of course, these days, yeah, on the other side, we're, we're trying to learn how to play our instruments better and to develop, but in the meantime, don't let any of that stuff hold you back from being part of it. In talking about how people who don't play high and fast end up being marginalized and may not be invited to jazz festivals or recording sessions today, Steve Haynes mentioned the late bassist Charlie Hayden as one of those. Tasteful, without being virtuosic, as he was known for his warm tone and subtle vibrato. He also exemplified freedom and especially with the Liberation Music Orchestra, which he started, his focus was on people struggling from oppression. In the background, you're listening to a tune written by David Bowie, Lyle Mays, and Pat, Pat Metheny. It's called This Is Not American. It's from a 2005 album, this uh, instrumental version by the Liberation Orchestra, led by Charlie Hayden.
Charlie Hayden and the Liberation Orchestra, this is not America. Looking at allowing musicians who aren't fast or virtuosic but are extremely creative onto the musical stage relates to the essential elements of inclusion and freedom. And so often, by doing great things despite those limitations, new forms and new creations arise. Here is more from Steve Haynes with a great illustration of how that uh, works. Joe Chambers, the great drummer who couldn't play like Max, Max Roach. And when he moved to New York and he met Max Roach, they changed phone numbers. And then the, that night, Max called Joe Chambers and said, listen, I'm, can you play for me tomorrow? I can't make this particular performance tomorrow. So he went and Freddie Hubbard tried asked him to play Cherokee at, you know, 360 beats a minute and he couldn't. And so what did Mr. Chambers do? He, he made it work. So he took the high hat and instead of going chick, 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 chick on two and four, he just moved it around. He went. And on the ride symbol, instead of going ding, 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 he found a way to make it dance and make it his own. And thank God for that. Thank God for that, because we there's a whole arm in the history of jazz that now that is now influenced by that freedom, that uh, the freedom and in, in what Mr. Chambers had on that particular gig where he just decided, you know, there's a different way that I can play. I don't have to play just like Max Roach necessarily, because honestly, who can? <laughs> I couldn't find any recordings of Joe Chambers playing Cherokee, and it may not have been recorded, but I did find a recent album from last year with Joe Chambers and our guest Steve Haynes on bass, also with Brad Merritt on piano and synthesizer. This is a Joe Chambers composition called Circles.
the great drummer Joe Chambers with today's guest Steve Haynes on bass with Brad Merritt on synthesized keyboard. Circles. Let's talk about one of Steve Haynes' favorite Canadian musicians. Mike Murley, I, I, I sort of chose him on purpose. Uh, the way I look at it, my, and this is just my opinion, but I, I feel that he has for so many years been the heartbeat of uh, the Canadian jazz scene. You know, he's a modest guy uh, from, you know, from Nova Scotia and, and he's, he's, uh, you know, he, he's, 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 he's like one, one of us, you know, but, but he honestly, the, the, uh, all of the precedent that he, that he did, it comes shining through how he plays and he still has this incredible freedom. So you can hear Lester Young and you can hear Sonny Rollins and, you know, you can hear a little bit of Ben Webster or maybe a little bit of John Coltrane. But but when I hear Mike Murley, I hear Mike Murley and I hear his roots. I can hear Nova Scotia. I can hear the Bay of Fundy, you know, I can hear all of that in his playing. And so even even I, I like I even particularly chose a song that's not overtly bluesy or swinging, but I, I really feel like when you hear him play, even in this particular context of the song that I sent you, you can hear all of that incredible optimism and blues in his playing. You're listening to Kenny Wheeler's Winter Suite with Mike Murley on saxophone, Rene Rosnes piano, Reg Schwager on guitar, and bassist Jim Vivian.
end off with Steve Haynes and his wish that we could forget about calling what we're doing jazz. In fact, get rid of categories in music completely. At the end of the day, it actually is a wee bit marginalizing and it, and it, and it makes it makes young people particularly lose the courage to find the music inside of them that can actually change culture. So we might have people that are 15 and 16 years old. And by the way, a lot of people uh, that were very, very young were the ones who were the movers, who are the ones who are the movers and shakers. Uh, and, and those folks, um, when they go to do their thing, they might imagine, you know, a viola and a, um, a conga and, um, I don't know, maybe an accordion with uh, a tenor saxophone um, and, and a couple of cymbals or something, and it could be with a singer or two, and it could be just the greatest thing we've ever heard. But the problem is the very, just me, just by be mentioning that instrumentation immediately, it just doesn't really fit into a particular category. And so what ends up happening is we marginalize what could be. So to end this episode, I looked around for something that had tenor, saxophone, accordion, cymbals, etc. I couldn't find anything. But I did find something very lovely, which you're listening to in the background. It was recommended to me by Peter Weddell from Northern Ireland. It's music that's uncategorizable. It's not really weirdo experimental. It's not pop. Maybe has some remnants of folk or world and might have a few of the essential elements of jazz. Certainly has inclusion. I don't know what Steve would think of me playing this recording after his missive about young people needing to be encouraged to find the music inside them that can change culture. This woman's name is Simona Smirnova, and the album is called Bird Language, and it was favorably reviewed in Jazz Times magazine. She plays a small harp called the Kankles, K-A-N-K-L-E-S, probably not considered a jazz instrument, even in Lithuania. I'm taking us home with the title track. My name's Larry Shadman. You're listening to Discovering Jazz, and thank you, Steve Haynes, for so generously sharing your knowledge and passion with us. Bye for now. (laughs) 